If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is the Glass Tire podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today we're talking about a virtual reality media installation on view at the Food and Fiverr Pavilion in Fair Park. Um, And that's the grounds upon which the Texas State Fair take place every year in October. But the rest of the year, it's still a historic landmark. It's full of Art Deco architecture. um, And it's a lot of unused square footage. But this year, in January of 2022, um, the Nasher partnered with the Bush Center, the Bush Presidential Library, opened an exhibition titled Carne y Arena, Virtually Present, Physically Invisible. And that's an exhibition um, which features Mexican film director Alejandro G. Inyaritu. And uh, we're going to break it down. So the first thing I want to say is that um, this show has been on view since January. It's going to be on view through April 18th uh, this spring. So if you haven't seen it, we would highly suggest perhaps going and checking it out before listening to us spoil it for you. Um, And there are a couple of twists and turns in this exhibition. Jessica, you've seen the show twice now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I wanted to go back a second time because um, it's a really unique experience. And the first time um, I kind of ended it early um, and I was... I wanted to go back to see like if if I could get through the whole thing, um, which I still found myself needing to end the experience early. Why do you think that is? Um, well, it's it's pretty intense. Uh, the The virtual reality experience is pretty intense. Um, the the narrative, what you're a part of, what you're watching, um, and I think specifically for me as a parent, um, the fact that there was a young child kind of present, um, it just was really emotional for me and made me think of not only my own children, but, um, you know, myself as a child, my um, ancestors as children, um, and just kind of the trauma that that happens um, regardless of age but especially for for young children put in that situation right so the exhibition formally um is 
like we stated earlier, it is a VR experience. Uh, it's being marketed as such. But uh, to be a little more specific and contextual about describing it, it's an installation. It had to be built out. It sits inside the Food and Fiber Pavilion uh, inside of uh, Fair Park. After you purchase your tickets, you enter the pavilion, you register with the front desk, you sign a waiver, and then they gently escort you to um, the entrance and you have a whole experience. And part of that is walking into a room, putting on a headset, and experiencing a film from 360 degrees, which, as you're alluding to, Jessica, it's an approximation of a series of immigrants' border crossing experiences, as I understand it. Um, The director worked with people who had migrated to the U.S., from, from Latin America to illustrate and uh, literally act out their experience, which is then captured um, by motion capture suits and then recreated in the 360-degree virtual reality experience. Um, so you're going to see people on foot in the desert You're going to see um, American Border Patrol agents intercepting them. And then there's some other kind of more like abstract, almost surreal elements. Uh, And then it's over and you leave and you encounter a wall of testimonies by the actors portrayed in the VR film experience. And they're talking about their experience. Um, Traveling from El Salvador, from Guatemala, up through Mexico into the U.S. So it is pretty heavy material. Um, and given the nature of virtual reality, it's, you're, you know, it's... You're immersed in it. Right. And I think that the Nasher maybe has a disclaimer that children 12 and under are not um, permitted to enter the space. Um, it's really intended for audiences 15 and older. Um, so I think that in and of itself kind of helps to, um, present the seriousness of what's happening in the space too. You're right. It's, it's totally immersive. Um, as I was seeing it for the first time, I was thinking how this is kind of the format of an immersive exhibition that museums and standalone, uh, exhibition spaces want to put on it's uh technically very clean very tight it's pretty succinct it doesn't require a ton of time you could probably finish it in they give you a time length like an approximation if you ask them at the front desk i think it's somewhere around 30 minutes possibly less i think it might be 20 i just that stuck out to me so much that like this feels like the new status quo for high dollar ticket immersive experiences. Would you agree or disagree? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I kind of agree. <laughs> I'll say, you know, 
when I think of immersive experiences that are being offered, that are popular right now, right? You think of Van Gogh, you think of Frida Kahlo. Those are easily consumable. Those are uh, fun, lighthearted experiences for the whole family. Um, And this is obviously, as we've already said, not intended for all ages. Um, And it's, it's like the heavier, more serious end of what the um, other end of the spectrum of what that type of immersive experience could be. Um, And in that way, yes, I I do think um, I agree that that this is maybe something that museums and galleries um, might look towards to consider like how to offer these types of experiences in the future. Um, But it is very much like on the other end of the spectrum of what else is happening in the immersive experience world. Including the choice of location in Fair Park. If you're not familiar, um, the bulk of Fair Park's attendance happens in October during the State Fair of Texas, but the rest of the year, the park isn't closed. It's just eerily unoccupied. It's a point of contention for Dallas year-round that the contracts involved in operating out of Fair Park are tied up in this, like, red tape and, uh, like, oversight. So having a cutting-edge immersive show organized by a hefty selection of powerful players and institutions... It's just, it's something that like a lot of people in art, a lot of people in Dallas would like to see happen in Fair Park more often. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I feel sort of like optimistic and positive that it was chosen uh, at least to show like, hey, this is what is possible. I was just going to say that the Nasher has, of course, since the pandemic, made a concerted effort to like figure out how to operate outside the confines of um, a public space where normally you would gather lots of people indoors during regular business hours. The pandemic obviously pushed everybody to think outside of the box, and they've done that. They emptied out their storefront gallery to put on Nasher Windows exhibitions, which were like solo spotlight focus shows, um, almost exclusively local artists. And they have expanded that to Nasher Public, uh, which is a series of programming, which is like offsite exhibitions, also usually like focus shows, but they've done lots of stuff. So this seems like a ratcheting up of their program to see how they can bring art outside of the walls of a museum. And it is still very much like um, an individual experience, right? Like, I think even if you come with a group of people, you're split split up to have this experience on your own. Um, and so in that way, it also continues to kind of follow COVID policies and procedures um, and... Uh, allowing for those kind of individual experiences instead of a larger kind of group experience. That's a, that's a really good point too, Jessica. Um, during my visit, I only noticed 
one VR headset uh, to like being in operation during the runtime of the show, which means that you would ostensibly either have to wait in line or be broken up if you went with the group of two or more people. But also, I mean, the one of the major themes of this show is to kind of make literal or make corporeal the nature of detention and isolation, uh, at least as exercised by U.S. immigration policy. Um, and it's very effective. It's very visceral. Again, it just points back to my experience that the whole, that the exhibition is highly designed, um, excruciatingly thought out, very effective. I just can't get over the polish. Yeah, it's, it, it is a um, well-conceived space. I found myself um, in some of the spaces just really um, kind of taking in and in awe of like how thought through every small component was. Um, that was very impressive to me. Um, one of the things, just kind of going back to the content for a second, that that was of interest to me and I would love to know more about. Um, I think you mentioned earlier in the description, you know, that, that the people that we see in the videos are people who have themselves crossed the border. Um, and they're reenacting. Um, experiences that they or or others from the group maybe have had and I I wonder about what that experience was like for them in the production side um, and I worry personally about re-traumatization um, through that experience but but I don't know and obviously they were willing um uh, willing actors and collaborators in this process, but it, it was something that I couldn't get out of my head uh, throughout the experience and after. As I think I learned that after exiting the um, the film portion and maybe after exiting the exhibition in general, which is that the people that you see acting crossing the border and acting encountering police. Um, Inyaritu had them reenact their experience and film it um, for the piece. What comes to mind immediately is, for me at least, is the subject of pay for those people. They're not artists necessarily. Um, they're not necessarily trained performance artists either. The idea of having them literally relive these traumatic experiences uh, and then digitally capturing it for art. Yeah, I, I agree that when I learned that it was kind of at least confusing, I thought. Yeah, on the subject of pay, I wondered, you know, like I said, clearly they were willing participants in this. So I wondered, what were they getting from this? either financially or emotionally or otherwise. You know, maybe it was significant to them to have an opportunity to share their story and to share their stories broadly and to, in doing so, um, hope to reach people and, and to um, change minds about what immigrant experiences are and, ha and have been. 
So maybe that's part of the driving factor. But, you know, is is that enough after, you know, reliving those traumatic experiences? I think about some of my own <laughs> traumatic experiences which are which are not on that level of trauma. And I just can't imagine um, purposefully reenacting them for the public to view. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point. So something I just wanted to talk about, because it's been kind of murmured and whispered about here and there, um, which is that there's just a lot of partners involved with this exhibition. It's something that obviously at the institutional level, at the museum level, you this happens from time to time. But this being such a multimedia experience, um, Alejandro Inarritu is a very uh, storied Mexican film director. He's done Amores Perros, Birdman, The Revenant. Um, he won Oscars for those last two. He's very credentialed, operates very successfully in the film industry. So here he's actually crossing borders a little bit and working in fine art. So to talk a little bit more about the production and operation of this show, um, Carne y Arena actually premiered in 2017 at the Cannes Film Festival in France. It has since shown in Canada and Aurora, Colorado last year in 2021. So this is actually not a Dallas-specific exhibition, the showing currently is just in Dallas and you can't see it anywhere else. Although future uh, shows may be announced in this iteration, uh, it has been packaged and prepared for touring by Phi Studio. The production team that put together the exhibition is Legendary Entertainment. They're a film production company. Um, You might know them from their production of Dune recently. Fondazione Prada, an art institution with exhibition space in Milan, and then Emerson Collective, a for-profit corporation that conducts a mix of investing and philanthropy. These are the three partners that produced the exhibition. The Nasher Sculpture Center and the Bush Presidential Center are both in charge of offering local operational support. So that involves like marketing PR and then the customer service staff on site when you go to check in and experience the show. So that's a lot of people <laughs> and it's a lot of relationships to think about. Um, I asked the Nasher if Inyaritu kind of brought legendary entertainment with him, given that he's a director, they're a big time film production studio, and they did generally confirm that. Um, so I, I guess I don't have like a moral or a point necessarily, but I think that there's a lot of names and big logos on some of the vinyl marketing material for this show. And I, I just thought that like, I myself was unsure what all of those logos actually meant. And so after digging a little bit, that's what I found out. Yeah, I think that's helpful to know, um, you know, especially when when you see these um, 
big, interesting, new uh, types of things that are happening in the art world. Um, I think it's always good to kind of understand um, who is coming together to help make these things happen. Um, and with so many, with so many uh, people involved, I also it also makes me wonder about the pricing model and um, how it came to be that the cost for a ticket is forty five dollars um, for this experience. Yeah, I mean. $45 for an immersive experience, $45 for an art experience, period. That's going to be kind of high end. That's like more than double what it costs to get into your average museum. And the experience is going to be, you know, at a minimum, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You can obviously stay longer than that, but it is pricey and it's kind of a big ask. Um, do you think it could be resultant of just a lot of R&D and investment having gone into the piece? It's such a well thought out and executed um, exhibition. Every every detail has been considered and it truly is immersive. It transports you from where you are, both physically and emotionally. Um, so it's a unique experience and... There's technology that was involved in the production of it, but also in the user experience. Um, Fair Park is certainly accessible to a lot of people. It's pretty central to Dallas. It also borders South Dallas. That's a great location if you want to get a diverse range of viewers and not um, a really concentrated selection of people in, say, uptown or downtown. But having said that, uh, 45 bucks, it's it's a little steep. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that um, prohibiting people from, from even considering attending. I also think that like, and this is probably on my part, but having seen it announced and um, all the excitement surrounding having it come to Dallas, I I guess I started to think that this was like a Texas story. So it was a Texas work of art, but it's not really. Inyaritu is Mexican, of course, but the show premiered in Cannes. It's traveled its way down to Texas. If it shows again, there's at this moment, there's no guarantee that the next show dates will be anywhere close to the border or even in Texas. Um, and I guess, like, it's just something I considered as before, during, and after I experienced the show, that it seems to care very deeply about presenting a border narrative or a contemporary border experience. Um, but there's a lot of components in how it came together that like, I don't know, having a, I think that having a, a major director, a big film production company, a competent Italian art institution come together to make this really substantial thing happen is not bad. 
but I am a little critical of it in the sense that like we have a hefty amount of border narratives that come out of Texas itself. Um, and this show is not like top to bottom Texas produced is perhaps all I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. The, that there are other artists, stories, people in Texas that might have been tapped to tell a Texas story. Is that where, sorry. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I mean, the subjects. Yeah, I was just making a point that like, I feel like in certain contexts, we wouldn't necessarily celebrate that the actors bring the authenticity to the work, but that like the actual orchestrators and designers of it are relying too heavily on the actors for like authenticity in the narrative. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The show certainly gives the audience member an entry point into what it means to be a subject of the border. Um, It's not cynical. Yeah. I, I don't know if you did this um, or if we were supposed to do this, but at the end there's a book where people can write about their experiences and I couldn't help but kind of flip through to see how many pages had been filled, how many people had written, um, the diversity of handwriting, you know, of maybe relevant to different ages. or um, And to see some of the comments that were, that were written. And it just seems that everybody who has been through the space and took time to respond had very significant experiences um and that's powerful yeah absolutely i i thank you for reminding me of that i remember you know just scouring as much of the space as i could and coming to the exit seeing a book a museum guest book if you will um and thinking like me writing down my name and my thoughts is an act of like adding to the ledger of this border narrative. And I thought like, I don't feel super comfortable doing that. I don't, you know, I didn't, it, it felt a little too light to sign my name and like have a smiley face and be like, that was fun. You know, is there somewhere you would like to see this installed or is there anyone you can think of that would benefit from seeing this show, Jessica? That's a really good question. And um, the question of audience is something that I keep coming back to. You know, I understand who created it and whose stories are being told and, and who helped produce it, but I'm not sure if I understand the intention of who is this for? Who was the intended audience when the artist made this? Um, because I think often I'm thinking about accessibility of, um, of art exhibitions. You know, how can more people see this? How can um, more groups of diverse people, ages, abilities, you know, all of those things have access to something um, that sometimes doesn't feel accessible? But with this, you know, I want to... I almost want to protect some groups of people from seeing this 
again, for that idea that it might be re-traumatizing. Um, I guess I might expect to see something like this or people, people might, um, not, might not be as taken aback to walk into an experience like this um, at a space like the Holocaust Museum, um, a space that when you go, you know that your intention is to learn about um, some of the most horrific things that have happened in human history. Um, and so you kind of come to the space with a type of reverence um, that, that you know that you're going into that and you can kind of prepare yourself mentally for it. So um, I guess I could see it being at a space like that or um, if, it, if it was in a more like publicly accessible space in general that there might be like more of an opportunity to prepare yourself or to know what you're coming in for. Do you mean if it were available in a more publicly accessible space, like a public plaza of some sort? Or do you mean like if the barrier to entry was lower? I think both. Um, I mean, as you pointed out, you know, Fair Park is relatively accessible. People people know where it is. Um, they attend every year <laughs> for the state fair. Um, but also sometimes when it is so much of a ghost town, it can be hard to find your way around to a specific part of Fair Park. Um, versus when you come to the fair, you just go to where the crowds are, you find a spot, doesn't matter where you park, you walk in and you'll, you know, you'll be in the state fair. To be fair, I didn't know where or what the Food and Fiber Pavilion was. Um, I've, I have been to the state fair before. I've been to Fair Park many, many times. Um, I wasn't certain what that building was. And then the flip side of that is that when it's off season and there's an event in Fair Park and you don't know where it is, you can sometimes you can scan around and be like, oh, there's people over there. That's where it is. You know, so like Mm -hmm. there's there's sides to it. But I do agree that there's, yeah, considerations about having an exhibition in Fair Park. And also, to be fair, the Nasher did a great job of having signs out for parking. Um, as soon as I started to see those signs, I knew I was on the right path. And they continued to, you know, all the way until I got to the right spot. So um, at no point did I feel like I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> and with that, um, that concludes Art Dirt for this week. We'll see you in a couple weeks with the new episode. And we will post links to news from Glass Tire regarding Carne y Arena um, and any other relevant links that you might find interesting in your perusal about this exhibition. And in the meantime, if you feel so moved, we welcome you to check out our statewide events calendar at Glass Tire and go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.